A few years ago, I found a really weird cash point. This cash point took my money, and in return I got a QR code that taught me a little bit about how to use a Bitcoin wallet. Since I made that really small investment, I learned a little bit about how the system worked, but nothing more. I can honestly say I never really understood what I was doing or how the thing worked. In this second episode of LDN, London Digital Mattering, I'm joined by Sonny Dilgear. Sonny started out as a curious reader on the subject of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Later, he started to invest in this interesting asset class. He surfed the turbulent waves of the market that peaked around Christmas last year, 2017, and, to his credit, stayed on his surfboard. Sonny and I are going to talk about how Bitcoin works and what the future holds. And, appropriately for this subject, our secondary topic in this podcast is going to be gambling. As usual, you can find show notes on www.ldnpodcast.com. Get in touch or follow us on Twitter at LDN Podcast. And for now, sit back, enjoy the show. Hi, Sonny. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing, Kieran? Oh, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thank you. So uh, this podcast is LDN, so London Digital Nattering, but you're not actually in London at the moment, which is why you're joining me over a Skype call. Uh-huh. I am in sunny, slightly sunny Birmingham mm-hmm. uh, by the canal, and I can see two ducks waiting to quack their uh, regular evening quack, as they do. Are they usually on the hour and the half hour, or, or what happens? It's normally between eight and half eight, so let's pray that they don't um, make a guest appearance. Oh, it would be pretty cool if they did. So um, just for those listening and wondering why LDN is um, talking to somebody in whatever the three-letter acronym is for Birmingham, mm. um, the reason is, dear listeners, is that Sonny and I used to work together a lot in London, uh, and occasionally together in Birmingham, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, many moons ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, 2017 is is that many moons ago? Uh, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. I guess it is. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, hey, thanks for really very much for making the time to join me on the podcast. Um, and our chosen subject is Bitcoin today. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So I. I I found a Bitcoin ATM a few years ago and uh, it was really weird and I put some money into it and then it gave me this QR code, it's like a barcode, and I scanned it into my phone and uh, there I am, I have Bitcoin and suddenly I might be able to spend it on the internet, but I just know that I threw some money into a machine and then I got something I don't didn't really understand at the time. So for the benefit of the people on the podcast who are maybe new to the topic have heard about it. Um, what, what the hell is Bitcoin? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so um, Bitcoin is effectively a digital currency, which is made using open source software and freely licensed encryption techniques, um, which create uh, bitcoins and those techniques are also used to verify the transfer of bitcoins from from wallet to wallet bitcoin 
also operates independently of financial institutions, central banks, um, any kind of intermediaries. So it's a, a borderless means of transferring value. And for that reason, it's known as the world's first decentralized digital currency and it's trustless. So, so that, see, that's the thing that still confuses me, I guess, is that it's a decentralized currency, but you know, well, I, I didn't do, I didn't do brilliantly economics A level, I guess, but, um, I know enough to know that you need a, you need a central bank, presumably, like we have the Bank of England here. Uh, and so, so how does it work then having a decentralized currency? Presumably that means there is no central bank for this currency. What does that, no. how does that work? Yeah, exactly. So, um, it's a bit like a VoIP actually, a voice over internet protocol. So mm-hmm. you can call someone um, and not have to call through an intermediary. Uh, and so w- with regards to Bitcoin, Bitcoin is now being known as MOIP, money over internet protocols. So whereby, right. whereby value is transferred peer to peer. So you can open up a Bitcoin wallet if you go on a, a Bitcoin exchange or if you go use some open source website, you can uh, buy some Bitcoin and you can move it from your wallet to another wallet that's held by somebody else um, without the need to wait for, say, uh, a, a central machine to process the, the movement or the settlement of, of that Bitcoin. So it's 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 you, person A, sending Bitcoin to person B, and the, a, a bunch of uh, miners compete to uh, on the Bitcoin network to do the complicated um, encryption calculation to win some Bitcoin as a reward to move right. your money. Yeah. So that 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 still blows my mind. Uh, that so there's not actually like a central server involved, right? No, no. So that blows my mind. I think a bit later on we're going to talk uh, in more detail about the mechanics of how the thing works because it. Mm-hmm. I have to confess, I still don't quite get it. I kind of get that it's a kind of a currency, but isn't a bankable currency there's no bank right and you mentioned a word earlier trustless what, what what does that mean so you don't have to rely on anyone to move your funds across because there is competition in the network that uh, so so participants in the bitcoin network um, are incentivized to send your money over to somebody else uh, and uh, do the calculation uh, within uh, secure encryption techniques uh, which haven't been broken so far. So you don't have to trust anyone um, as, uh, because it's processed by game theory and unbreakable Whoa. encryption techniques. <laughs> Game theory as well. Right. Okay. So, um, all right. We'll probably cover that a bit more around the mechanics of how it works. But, uh, I mean, 
we have money, right? So I have a credit card. Um, I can use it pretty much anywhere in the world. I can carry money in my wallet or in my pocket. I can use that for things. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I lost a tooth. I got money. I've got this, there's this thing in the world called money. And why, what was the problem that people were trying to solve with Bitcoin? So what was the use case? Why did somebody, clearly people have put a lot of work into this and there's a lot of buzz. Is it, is it some kind of scam or, or is there a proper kind of like real philosophical reason why it exists? Yeah. Um, so I'd have to kind of slightly go back into time if that's okay to give you a bit of context. Yeah. Go on, so, uh, go on then. <laughs> I, I like, I like a bit of history. Cool. So, um, I'll have to kind of explain the the this thing called the Mandrake mechanism. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know how old you are, Kieran, to know this, um, but um, in the forties, nineteen forties. In the forties, how old am I? Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, that, that was a joke. I'm, I'm not really I know I might be asking too. questions about Bitcoin like I'm someone's granddad, but I oh, certainly oh, wasn't oh. born in the forties. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, cool. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so in in, in the nineteen forties, there was a, a comic strip character uh, called Mandrake the Magician, and so right. uh, so Mandrake's uh, specialty was creating things out of nothing and uh, when appropriate making them disappear back into the same void okay so he could he could he could pull things out of thin air and then he could make them disappear basically exactly yeah right okay so that that was a mandrake uh, so just just remember that magi- magician as i kind of narrate the history a little bit okay cool so um in uh, 1910 uh, a group of about six men um, met um, on an island in Georgia, uh, mm. in the United States, called Jekyll Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bit, a bit like Jekyll and Hyde. Oh right, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so these six men um, had a premise. Uh, the, 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 there was a big uh, under, underlying reason for them uh, to meet. So they they basically met uh, in total secrecy, um, and this wasn't known to the media, it wasn't known to their family or friends, um, and the details of this weren't shared until 20 years later um, in, in some of their bio- biographies. Um, so these men were threatened um, by too much competition in, 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 the, in the 19th century um, around uh, a lot of local and regional banks opening up in, in America, and uh, kind of making a lot of uh, profits and uh, commissions o- over uh, t- trades at the time. And um, what's interesting to know is that these six men represented 25% of the world's wealth when they met. The world's wealth? Yes, the world's wealth. Blimey. Yeah. Um, and so so they met, um, and their uh, main motivation was that this, they, they thought that the solution to uh, get rid of all this competition was to form an oligopoly. Mm-hmm. And so they, they came out uh, once again in, in, 
in, in a lot of secrecy. They, they they came out in separate trains and and uh, carriages uh, to, to so that they didn't, didn't have to kind of um, you know just stay away from the limelight still. And um, basically, three years later, the agenda that they came with Jekyll Island, they eventually got their way and they formed this uh, institution. But do you know what this uh, institution is called? I'm guessing it's the Fed. Yes, exactly. So so this oligo- so this these hang on, these six people who had a quarter of the world's that still blows my mind. Even even nowadays when we've got uh, you know, Buffett, Gates, Bezos and that lot. Mm-hmm. That that still blows my mind. Um, wow. I mean, so things really don't change, do they? Yeah. Um, I've got a friend, and me, me and him, we always share this uh, saying that <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. Plus ça change. Plus c'est la même chose. Yeah, exactly. So... Uh, interesting. So they, so basically, they created a lim- an oligopoly, as he said, which is like a limited, uh, like a like a limited competition type marketplace, right? Is that yes? What we mean by that, right? So, and this created the Fed. So, how how did that create the Fed? So, uh, the, the the Fed had a, an arrangement with the United States government, and uh, this. This model's been applied uh, many times before the Fed was created, actually. So you're telling me these six guys, it still blows my mind, these six guys, quarter of the world's wealth, created this limited cabal of competition called the Fed. And... But how is that even possible? Because the impression that I always had, and I guess a lot of people had, was that this is actually a government department of some kind. Are you saying it's not? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, but I, I can't remember the original name that they wanted to give it. I think it, they wanted to give it a very corporate name. But um, during the dis- discussions on Jekyll Island, they obviously realized that it would give away uh, the fact that this is a private entity, uh, which is why they had a few debates and then they came up with the US Federal Reserve. Um, yeah, so, so <laughs> that's how the Federal Reserve did uh, the idea of the United States central banking system was founded. Okay, so so just so I'm really clear, so they're the central bank. It's a private company, and it issues they issue the dollar, right? Yes. So a private company issues the dollar, but everybody. Certainly, I'd imagine everybody thinks that the dollar is issued by the U.S. government and not by a a private company. I know this is this feels like a massive rabbit hole. I'm sure you're going to like in a minute. We're going to find out who Mandrake, why Mandrake is important, the magician. Um, but but so this is the thing I'm struggling to wrap my head around. You're telling us that the dollar that has Lincoln on it, Benjamin, Washington. You know that has these heads of state is actually issued by the Federal Reserve, which is a private company and not the government of the U.S. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Wow. Okay. 
So, so they're, can, they're quite literally making money. Um, unfortunately, yes. I mean, I can. Uh, I've. Uh, I, I remember a, a transcript I read um, between um, the governor of the Federal Reserve in this was in 1941. Um, so this is a transcript between uh, the governor of the Federal Reserve called a Mr. Marina Eccles and mm-hmm. uh, a congressman at the time called uh, Wright Patman. Right. It, it's a very it's a very simple very short conversation uh, transcript but it, it's it, it's it's kind of the highlight of of is the reason why I, I got into this this entire space and how I'll I'll explain how it goes to bitcoin as well. Would you, would you like me to read it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if this is for me, I mean, what's interesting about these podcasts talking to people who do this stuff I really actually want to know at some stage not just how this thing works but how on earth you got tangled up in it but Mm. yeah maybe this will reveal the answer sure okay so um, the Great Depression as some of us know um, there was a big Great Depression in the United States in the 1930s Mm -hmm. and uh, following this depression um, Marina Eccles who was the governor of the Federal Reserve um, was asked to give testimony before the uh, House Committee on Banking and Currency, uh, just so that uh, they could explain the Federal Reserve's role in in the Great Depression of the 1930s. So I'm just going to read this very quick excerpt. All right. So it starts with the Fed Governor, uh, Marina. Mm-hmm. We created it, Congress Patman. Out of what? The Fed governor. Out of the right to issue credit money. The congressman. And there is nothing behind it, is there? Except our government's credit? The Fed governor. That's what our money system is. If there were no debts in our money system, there wouldn't be any money. If there were if there were no debts, there'd be no money. So money is therefore debt, is what we're saying. Yes. Right. So uh, okay, that's quite a big thing to wrap the head around. Yeah, um, I'm saying that a lot on this podcast, Sonny. It's uh, <laughs> it's the reason um, I got very very massively distracted um, towards cryptocurrencies and just central banking in general. I found I, I still today to this day I find it a fascinating subject. Because so it, people, it, dri- yeah, it drives just all the decisions across the world, and it's it's such a powerful concept. Carry on. So yeah, so that means if money if money is debt, hang on, let me just get my head around this. So money is created by the issue of debt. Is that how that works? Yeah. So basically, money is not created until the instant that it's borrowed. Uh-huh. So say I am I am the owner of let's just say Bank X, and Bank X has got a hundred pounds in its deposits. But using fractional reserve banking uh, concepts, you are allowed to issue. I think it's uh, forgive me for for inaccuracies here, but I think you can issue up to nine times the deposit that you hold. Yeah. So. I can issue out 900 pounds in loans 
on top of a hundred pounds that I hold as a reserve. But so my total assets would become a thousand pounds. But it's only a thousand pounds if you borrowed that nine hundred pounds from me, because basically it's the act of borrowing that causes that nine hundred pounds to spring into existence. Right. And so my assets are a thousand, only because you borrowed nine hundred from me. And conversely, it's the act of paying off that debt that also causes the that that money supply to vanish. So if you pay off that loan, um, that 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 nine hundred pound disappears from the system. <clears throat> okay, so. So if I understand it correctly, I'm a bank. Sorry, you're a bank. You've got £100. Yeah. I borrow 900 You issue me a loan of £900. Mm-hmm. So now the total money supply is £1,000. Yes. So, and I want to pay you that £900 back. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you'll send the bailiffs after my car that somehow existed without a money supply in the first place. <laughs> and... And so I want to pay you that £900 back. But the only way I'm going to be able to pay you that £900 back is if somebody else pays me that £900 to pay to you, right? Voila. So, uh, and not only that, you're probably hitting me with interest. Uh-huh. So for argument's sake, I don't owe you 900 I owe you 1000 right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so now we need somewhere, we need £100 to come out of nowhere which is presumably being issued to other schmucks who are now in debt, right? Okay. So you're a bank. You've got £100 in the bank. I can borrow 900 I then go and work my butt off to get that £900 or £1,000 to pay you back. What, what have you actually done to earn that money? Nothing. I have done absolutely nothing. Apart from managing a really big spreadsheet. Yes. Yeah. And that, that is the, that's the story of banking. Legacy banking. So um, I'm I'm sure that, you know, people with the best will in the world and the greatest respect to you will listen to this and they'll think, yeah, right. I mean, he's just some schmuck on a small starting off podcast that you know why on earth should why on earth should i take his word for it what what could people be reading to inform themselves about this because it this i'd be honest you know <clears throat> it does feel a little bit conspiracy theory um you can uh, try and understand how the U- united states uh, Federal Reserve works. I'm, I'm sure they they have their workings uh, depicted on on their website. Actually, okay. Um, uh, maybe it's worth uh, trying to read up on fractional reserve banking, mm-hmm. fractional reserve lending. We'll put some links up in the show notes. Mm, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do that later on on our site, which is ldnpodcast.com. and you can also follow us on Twitter on at ldnpodcast. Sorry to do the plug, Sunny. That's all right. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, yeah. So, so that's 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 real money, right? So, 
you've kind of disabused me of this notion that I've got this, I've got money in my pocket. I sound a bit like Alanis Morissette. Um, I've got money in my pocket and I can I can go and do stuff with it. So rightly or wrongly, regardless of how legitimately it's created, because it doesn't sound massively legitimate if I take what you're telling me at face value, regardless of how legitimately it's created, it's still accepted, right? Um, so what what is... So given that there's all this history with Mandrake, and we need to come back to Mandrake, actually, tell me about Mandrake, and then please tell me what is the problem that the guys who invented the guy, whoever whoever it is who invented bitcoin was trying to solve yeah so the mandrake mechanism is basically saying that it's it's an analogy to the creation of money so mandrake the magician could create things out of nothing and put them back into the uh, make them disappear right it's this it's the same principle with the the, the current financial system the, the debt-based system. So money is not created until it's borrowed. Um, so you've borrowed it. When you pay it back, that money vanishes. And that is the mandrake mechanism. Got it. Yeah. Except it's slightly worse, no? Because money is created, then it disappears. But it actually, it leaves a distortion in... Like, if we want to get all sci-fi, the space-time continuum, doesn't it? <laughs> because back to that £900 that I borrowed from you, I've now got to go and try and find that extra £100 from somewhere. We've created like a uh, like a hunger. I don't want to say debt, but we've created a hunger in the system now for that £100. I've got to get that off someone else. Exactly. So is this how we get crashes? Presumably, so at some point, the system just falls in on itself. Yes. Now... I don't know the 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 what the, the I haven't studied uh, monetary economics that deeply to to understand what causes crashes. But this, you're exactly right. It's that distortion that you picked up on. I picked this up in two thousand and eight when I was at yeah. uni when I was okay. studying for my computer science degree. I picked up that distortion that you have to pay interest on your debt. Where does this interest come from? And this uh, this is why I got fascinated by um, the, the, the 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 real money that was used many many centuries ago, which was you know physical metals and pres- uh, precious metals and commodities. Um, uh, so yeah, so this money system is 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 how the the world works and the this money system in the United States is currently valued. This this debt um, that we call money is valued at twenty one trillion dollars. So that's twenty one thousand billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> right, and that can never be paid off. Presumably, that'll never get paid off. Yeah, because the government has to borrow to pay a debt that it can't service. And that debt is growing faster uh, and faster until it starts growing exponentially. We've set the stage with the Mandrake effect. So what is the problem, back to that question, that Bitcoin is trying to solve? Sure. So ever since the the central banking system took shape 
from 1913 onwards, we've had a series of booms and busts. Yeah. Every dozen or so years, every 10, mm-hmm. 15 years, there's been booms and busts uh, because that this that banking system is also in Europe. Um, and we had the big dot-com bubble and then we had the great recession in 2008-2009. And uh, I think what happened is some people had tried to make a digital uh, version of, of money um, back in the 90s. And one uh, chap called Hal Finney tried to make a DigiCash, um, but he got too greedy and asked for a bit, a, quite a lot of money from a very big IT vendor, and that never took off. Um, and then the and internet was, came... And was that, the same as, was that the same idea as Bitcoin, or was that something else? It had some similar properties to Bitcoin, yes. Okay. Um, and then another chap uh, tried to make something called Bitgold. Um, right. And, and then in 2008, uh, by, by 2008, 2009, the internet, um, that there was enough uh, knowledge and skill in, in, in the IT space to, to, for a bunch of guys to get, get together and, and uh, do something about uh, all the booms and busts they had seen. So effectively... Uh, what happened in 2008 and 9 is that a bunch of cryptographers, so people who uh, work on uh, security, um, a bunch of economists, uh, they all got together and uh, worked to create uh, a, a more mature version of the DigiCash that Hal Finney created uh, uh, about 15, 20 years ago. And uh, uh, this thing was called Bitcoin. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the person or the group of people, nobody really knows um, who, who the actual creator was, whether it was, a, whether it was an individual or a, a group of people. But this became known as the Satoshi Nakamoto. Oh, so that's actually an alias possibly for a group or somebody else. It's not actually who... Okay, cool. Yeah. And so um, after seeing the Great Recession in 2008, these guys got together with Satoshi Nakamoto to create Bitcoin. And it's it's funny because um, the first thing that uh, was written in the very first Bitcoin that was mined uh, was... I think it was the 3rd of March. It, it, it literally said, 3rd of March, uh, 3rd of January 2009, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. Um, so there was a, a big inspiration from, from, from the, the, the latest bust. So, so you're saying that was written into the code? Yes. Blimey. So, you're, you're, so that really is pointing a direct link between the boom and bust cycle of this uh, invented currency, which they call fiat currency, right? Yes. The, the the currency that you and I are used to carrying in our pockets as paper with the, with the queen's head on. Uh, and so there's a direct correlation you're saying between that kind of currency and Bitcoin as a reaction to its, to its weaknesses. Yes. Right. I, I had no idea. Okay. Okay, so the problem they were trying to solve was how how are they going to solve that problem then? So, bit the purpose of Bitcoin was to create something 
as close to gold as possible, but a digital version of gold. That was the original intention that the creator or creators had. So gold um, has some core traits. For example, it's uh, it's scarce. Um, so fiat, mm -hmm. for example, is not scarce anymore. Uh, gold is durable. It's portable. It's divisible. You can break gold down if you can melt it. Um, it's verifiable, so you can check if, if the gold is 99.9% uh, you know, um, accurate or not. Uh, you can store it. Um, so these cryptographers, economists, and uh, programmers got together and built Bitcoin to mimic the properties of, of gold. So Bitcoin is limited in the sense that only 21 million Bitcoins will ever be created. Um, 21 million? Yes. How did they get that number? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they picked 21 million. Maybe it's related to some algorithm or, or some um, mathematical sequence or some something in history. I, 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 I can't remember. Okay. But it was... 21 million as, as, as the scarcity, it's portable because you can carry in a wallet. It's divisible. So a one unit of Bitcoin has um, a lot of zeros behind it. So you can divide it. Um, it's verifiable and uh, it's uh, hard to counterfeit because it's got a unique encryption algorithm. And, and, and so that was the plan. To, but the advantage of creating Bitcoin over gold is that you don't need to carry Bitcoin physically. You just need to memorize a, a private key, uh, a long string, and that you, you can retrieve your, your Bitcoin holdings from anywhere in the world. Okay, so key is like a password. Yes. Cool. All right. So basically what you're telling me is regular money uh, has these cycles because it's inherently unstable because of the effect that we talked about with debt and interest and being unable to repay. Yeah. Um, and regular money is fiat, and certainly the modern-day money. So I know that the dollar came off the gold standard in the 70s, right? Yes. Something like that. So it's not even backed, but it's only backed by goodwill now. Uh, given that this is a cyclical thing, uh, the Bitcoin people, the inventors, the guy they try to solve this problem by creating a fake, like not a fake, an ersatz digital gold product. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so it works through... So how does it practically work? I mean, we talked about a little bit about public keys, which I've tried to translate for the listeners as a, as a password, but that's probably not entirely accurate, is it? It's built on something called blockchain. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? 40 yeah, so, minutes into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's, it's a fascinating subject. Oh, man, yeah. Um, so, so the blockchain, uh, I'll, I'll try and explain this in layman terms and, and, and just keep it short and sweet. Um, you can Google blockchain um, and you'll find a lot of information there. Um, the blockchain is basically a distributed ledger. So uh, you can go on to blockchain.info and you'll see a ledger there which records um, all the transactions ever made on, on uh, the Bitcoin network. Um, no way. 
the the interesting thing about this is you make a transaction, person A makes it to person B, um, it'll be recorded in the blockchain when a miner uh, processes it and takes their reward for it. Um, and then that... Uh, the, that a, sorry, a miner being somebody who is trying to create Bitcoins. Yes. So M-I-N-E-R. So I, I heard miner, like some child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a Bitcoin miner, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it'll uh, when the transaction is made from person A to B, it'll be published on the blockchain once the miner has uh, uh, settled it, and uh, that uh, that copy of the blockchain will be available to every participant on the blockchain network. So say if if uh, that ledger gets corrupted uh, by participant one on the network. Um, you can you've got a million other participants who have who have the old copy so you can never uh, um, it, it keeps the integrity of, of every transaction and and so uh, wait 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 so so sorry you were saying and I'm just thinking back this is I get so you've got the distributed ledgers so that everybody has got a copy of history so probably yes. that's a really really big file but yeah. um, so you, I pay you some Bitcoin. Yeah. In order to process that transaction, a miner, so somebody who is trying to create Bitcoin on their computer, running a Bitcoin mining program, gets rewarded somehow. Is that right? Did I understand that correctly? Yes. So how, how do they get rewarded? What do they get? So, get Bitcoin. Yeah, so I think you, you get a block and then in that block are a certain um, uh, number of bitcoins. Okay, so what happens when the system is max capacity? So you hit your 21 million possible bitcoins and it's no longer possible to mine. What is the incentive then to do any of the transactional processing in the system? That's where it gets interesting because uh, the more people that join uh, the bitcoin network and uh, compete to um, mine the more expensive it becomes to do okay. it and the more the value of Bitcoin rises and the more difficult it also gets to mine Bitcoin. And, and so that... So, does that mean it's exponential? It's exponential? It's impossible to actually create all the Bitcoin there is out there? Uh, it is possible, but it becomes harder and harder because the difficulty uh, gets adjusted every few years. Uh, right, and how does that get adjusted? Who adjusts it? You it's see, I guess auto- it's automatic. Yes. See, all, can can you tell? Like, I'm still, f- I still feel very central bank, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I still can't get my head around that this is a demo- supposedly a democratic. Th- there's got to be some guy sitting back, just cackling and doing what the the Monopoly Man central bank caricature would be doing if this were paper money. Surely this has got to be a, a scam somehow, no? <laughs> no, this is just, it's its free market competition. Um, whoever is, is able to mine can mine. And whoever mines the fastest uh, with, with the best machines gets the reward. Yeah, so mining is, so I install a, a, I can install a Bitcoin mining program on my computer, right? And I can just run it. And no, uh, no, 
<laughs> yeah, well, you'll need really uh, specialized hardware to do it, and uh, they're called mining rigs, and they cost upwards of a thousand, two thousand dollars because of the. Yeah, they're they're very advanced. Okay, so they're quite processor intensive. Yes. In fact, I'm rocking on my computer that I'm recording this on now. I'm rocking a graphics card that I bought three years ago. And I remember someone saying, that's a really good Bitcoin mining graphics card. Because back then you could shift processing onto the, you could share it between the CPU, mm-hmm. the main processor and the graphical processing unit, the GPU. Um, so maybe I should give that a go and see if I can become filthy rich. <laughs> but presumably then there are all these people who are chasing, this is like the gold rush, yeah? Sort of, it sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah, so there, there are all these people, presumably, and you could take this to the extreme, building, uh, filling their garage full of computers, mining Bitcoin. There are people like that, yeah. So, man, we must be spending a lot of money on electricity. Yes. Um, do you want to take a guess how much we are using that on Bitcoin? Uh- <laughs> I bet whatever I say, it's going to be, I don't know, in terms of what? In terms of money or or power or as Both. a share? Both. Oh, my word. I don't even know. I don't even know where to start thinking. This is like one of those questions you get if you go for a job at Google, right? <laughs> you know, why are, why are manhole covers round? Um, so I really wouldn't even know where to start with that so currently uh mining bitcoin is currently costing 60 trillion watts per hour and that is the equivalent of 0.3 percent of the total electricity consumption in the world which is about one and a half billion dollars a year so it's not uh it's yeah it's not very uh (laughs) economically uh sustainable uh, system at the moment, which is why um, other uh, things are coming into fruition like proof of stake instead of proof of work. So proof of work is a miner is, is doing complicated work to, to process your transaction. Whereas proof of stake is where a person, uh, a, miner, a person can mine or validate uh, a transaction according to how many coins uh, they hold. So uh, the, the, there's a lot of research and development going into proof of stake rather than uh, electricity uh, hungry proof of work. There's got to be some kind of, there's clearly some kind of governance authority here that's looking after the protocols for Bitcoin, right? That's managing this in the same way that you've got it for managing how the internet works. No. No, it's uh, it's anyone. Uh, so, so how it works is a developer can uh, change the open source, uh, the, the software code of Bitcoin, but it needs to be validated and verified by various other participants before it's accepted. Um, and um, it, 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 there's a, a kind of a, a governance uh, that takes place to um, accept a change on on Bitcoin, and uh, you need. Uh, a certain percentage of participants to um, to ac- accept big changes, uh, otherwise the change doesn't go through. 
So it's okay. It's, that's it's, really democratic. And the other thing I'm trying to wrap my head around is how how much electricity not only does Bitcoin consume, but how much electricity we are creating as a species currently. That is mental. Really, 60 trillion watts per hour is used, and that's only 0.3% of our hourly electricity consumption. Is that right? Well, that, that's that's what I found after a bit of research. Wow, it is. wow. okay. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just the scale of what we're doing as a species is nuts. Imagine if we put all of this thinking into colonizing Mars, right? Where would, what would we be doing? Well, we'd be on Mars, I guess is the answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I think I've understood the problem it's trying to solve, r- roughly how it hangs together, that's kind of democratic. How do I buy it? How do I sell it? Because that's what people seem to be doing. How do I hold it? Sure. So you can buy it on um, Bitcoin exchanges. So there are popular ones, uh, really user-friendly ones like uh, Coinbase, com there is bitstamp um, there is kraken um, there are others so you can you can buy it there uh, you can deposit your dollars or your pounds or your euros and uh, go on the open marketplace and and, and buy bitcoin mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. And then you can deposit that into your um, uh, exchange wallet the exchanges will give you a wallet um, which will contain a public key um, you'll you know you, you won't see the private key I think um, and then you can transfer bitcoins from that wallet to any other wallet. So that's how you would buy it. And conversely, if you want to sell it, you would uh, deposit uh, your bitcoins into the exchange wallet and uh, go into the open marketplace and uh, sell bitcoin and uh, get get uh, fiat currency back for it. But not a lot of people are doing that at the moment. Well, I guess since the value sunk... So the values the values dropped quite a lot, right? Yes. So talk us talk us. Uh, so in the intro, I'm I talk about how you surfed the wave, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've been. So this this kind of all got you interested, right? Uh, tell me more about how you got into it and kind of uh, a little bit about tell us about the history of the market and maybe your your place in it, if you know what I mean. I'm not asking you to tell me about your position or anything, but. You know, when did you get in, and 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 why, and um, you know, it's all it's one thing reading all this stuff, another thing doing it and taking the plunge. Sure, sure. So, um, as as I mentioned before, I I got in, got quite interested in, in 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 how money works in in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and then I couldn't get a job, uh, a graduate job, for a whole year after I came out of uni uh, in the recession. Right. Um, so I had a quite a lot of free time to read up on things like this, um, but eventually, uh, when I did land my first job, I kept one eye on 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 all this stuff, and uh, I got interested in gold stocks. Um, and uh, uh, being the speculative person I am, and the way I, I went about as a complete novice, I, I bought some stocks, and um, I didn't do very well. Um, I actually lost. I lost my house deposit. Um, no. uh, buying, yeah. <laughs> um, I, it was it was a new experience. It was a very steep learning curve. Uh, I lost a lot of ninety percent of my house deposit uh, in gold mining stocks when the gold market crashed in two thousand and eleven. 
And so um, I always kept, I still kept one eye out on the market because after reading about the money system, I just wasn't convinced that this was a sustainable way to 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 store wealth. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I worked, um, uh, you know, a, a few jobs here and there. I started researching on um, web technologies and fintech and I bumped into blockchain technology in January of last year. And, uh, I, I couldn't wrap my head around blockchain technology. It was it was it was just too advanced for me at the time. It, every time I tried to un- read the Ethereum white paper, my mind was just blown, and I just gave up uh, after five minutes. But I kept going back and back to it, and um, basically, I think uh, Ethereum went to ten dollars per Ethereum coin. And then I remember I was sat in, sat in the office in Kanos uh, um, at work and uh, it jumped to $40 a coin. And then I couldn't understand what, what was going on. And then it jumped to uh, This was, just for the record, this was on your lunch break, right? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, it jumped to $80 and then eventually it jumped to $400. And that's that just piqued my interest, like... Why has this thing jumped so quickly? Um, then I saw all these partnerships that were f- forming around the Ethereum uh, ecosystem. So I got into, I made my first purchase around June, July on uh, Coinbase.com. Uh, I bought my first Bitcoin there. And then uh, I... Did you buy a whole Bitcoin or or what What did you do? I I bought, I think two bitcoins at the time they were only worth two and a half thousand dollars each i think but i also bought a lot of litecoin uh, which is the uh, silver to the bitcoins gold as they say okay and um litecoin was recently uh released on on coinbase that very popular website and that's when i realized that there could be uh, a similar run to litecoin as there was to bitcoin so I started in uh, June uh, last year, June, July, and uh, then I discovered um, ICOs and other derivatives of, of Ethereum um, because you can you can raise capital using uh, Ethereum tokens. And so I, I started looking at um, the places where the risk and reward, the, the reward to risk ratio is really good. So um, if you risk a little, uh, if, if you risk a certain amount, you, the chances of you uh, making are far greater than the chances of you losing. So I thought the, the smartest play to make would be to buy uh, shares in uh, new emerging Bitcoin exchanges that were running on Ethereum. And uh, so I bought um, stakes in a company called Binance. Um, I bought stakes in a crypto to fiat uh, credit card called 10x. Mm-hmm. Um, and within a week or two, I just it would be, these weren't percentage increases. These were multiples. The the returns I was getting, um, but because I'd seen. Uh, from past experience that what goes up 
also comes down very quickly. You got um, out of dodge with the money, right? Yeah. Tell me you got out of dodge. Good. Yes. Good. So so then we had and so you were telling me starting around the summertime, then you went in and out of different cryptocurrency products, Bitcoin, Litecoin, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then so then I, I remember it got really crazy around about Christmas time. Yeah. Uh, and then it seems to have cooled off. So, so do you know what's behind that? Yeah. So I, uh, I did a bit of research and I spoke to a few people. I think what happened, um, the, the, uh, some, uh, a few hedge funds uh, got together and um, they realised that Bitcoin was gonna is on the verge of becoming uh, mainstream, and uh, so so some funds uh, in Japan and Korea got involved and uh, they made some big buys um, before Christmas, which caused a big spike. Um, so you can safely say that early mainstream uh, adoption is, is coming um, because cause this big money rolled in and everything literally mm. just quadrupled and pentupled over Christmas with this short spike. So the, so the institutions came in is what you're saying? Yeah. And now they're left with cap in hand or something because so the the value's kind of halved, right? Since Christmas time. In in some cases, it's dropped eighty percent, but it's recovered uh, a, a lot as well over the last week or two. Um, the I think the the people who've been in this uh, these situations before have probably known when to you know walk away. Uh, with with what they've made versus people who are very new. So, uh, what one thing to notice is that the volume um, wasn't very uh, volume volume of trading wasn't very high um, at the tail end of last year. Um, so uh, there was a bit of m- uh, market manipulation in in, in uh, uh, setting the price high. And that was you, right? You were on a forum or two, uh, giving a tip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to inevitably ask you for a tip at some stage. So, uh, so you got these bitcoins and you can trade them back and forth, like, like uh, you know, like those football stickers that you collect in an album. Yeah. Can can you actually buy anything with them? Yeah. So there are a few retailers accepting uh, Bitcoin. So apparently there are about between fifty and hundred thousand retailers that accept it. Um, but not a lot of them are mainstream. So I know Microsoft accepts it in some form, shape or form. Um, Expedia accepts it. There oh. are companies like BitPay, which will uh, take your Bitcoin and convert it into fiat money when you make a purchase. Um, but that's uh, but the uh, main Bitcoin uh, acceptance uh, is, is growing. Um, but I think the bulk of it is through uh, Bitcoin to fiat credit cards at the moment. Okay. And so, but you can use it, I guess, if I wanted to buy a car off you, you know, I wanted to buy your car. I could, if you if you were to accept, I could pay you with Bitcoin from my Bitcoin wallet. And you'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Give me, a, I don't know, half a Bitcoin or whatever the car's worth, right? Yeah, there are people yeah. out there who are doing that, yeah. So, uh, so that brings up like interesting implications. Firstly, around tax, but then also presumably around um, contraband. 
So maybe going on the dark, I could go on the dark web, presumably, and I could buy drugs if I wanted with Bitcoin. I'm not, by the way, just for the record, not advising that people either buy or consume drugs, but I'm trying <laughs> to think of something uh, that you might buy on the dark web. Yeah, Is that right? Yeah, that's what Bitcoin's been largely associated with when it was a, a very low price. Um, it, it was, it, it's, I think the dark web did uh, propel it into a niche kind of ma uh, mainstream uh, visibility. Um, but obviously a lot of drugs and smuggling is also done using hard cash. So yeah, uh, um, there is that. So, so earlier you said, I think that because of the central register, every coin transaction is recorded. So what, um, how, how can I have my transactions anonymous? Can I have my transactions anonymous? With Bitcoin, you can't. Uh-huh. Um, so Bitcoin is not anonymous because every transaction amount, the source address, destination address, it can be seen by anyone who goes onto the blockchain. Um, it, but it's the uh, anon there are anonymous cryptocurrencies out there, and there are some very interesting developments coming out at the moment. So there's one being uh, heavily sponsored by JP Morgan, uh, which is called Zcash. Mm -hmm. But the founder of Zcash, the actual person uh, leading the development, he is a public. Uh, he, he is visible in public circles, so there there is there is a threat that he's a single point of failure. So um, they, someone could you know um, blackmailing. Blackmail, blackmail him into creating a backdoor. Um, so it. I don't know how anonymous that is. But then there are other coins like Monero, which are known to be fully anonymous because no one knows who's developing it. And um, it's got very interesting protocols driving that um, currency. So, what, so where would you, where would you see the future of this? Mm. I don't know what you'd even call I don't want to call it an asset class, but I guess I did in the intro call it an asset class. But I don't even know if that's the right word, given that I'm still trying to understand that, that it's a thing. What's the future? Will there be... There seems to be a lot of competition. Like we used to have a lot of competition in um, personal computing. Yeah, We used to have a lot of different computer platforms and ultimately it, it fell down to... Microsoft and Apple, pretty much, but Microsoft dominating. So is the same kind of effect going to happen here with cryptocurrencies? Absolutely. I mean, Kieran, did you, have you ever read up, read up on the uh, railroad bubble that uh, happened you know in what? America? Do you know what? Mm -hmm. I came today being, being ready to think aloud about the tulip bubble and about the South Sea bubble, but not the railroad <laughs> bubble. It was this to buy stocks in railroad companies, presumably? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, the railroad bubble created, there were thousands of companies um, in that bubble um, and only a handful survived. Uh, what's going to happen, I think, in, in, in the Bitcoin space is... Of course, there will be thousands of uh, protocols, ideas. Uh, there will be lots of people trying to scam people for money. There will be lots of copycats. There will be lots of very, very small solutions asking for lots of capital. 
but inevitably uh, the, the ones that evolve and meet certain needs. For example, Bitcoin is not scalable at the moment, let's be honest. It's, uh, it, it takes half an hour uh, to send uh, a Bitcoin and when the network gets very busy, it can take a lot longer. Mm. So there are new protocols out there built on the blockchain that are addressing this scalability issue. And those are now gaining a a lot of value and a lot of traction. So they're addressing the scalability gap. There will be tokens out there, uh, companies out there who will be SEC compliant, FCA compliant, uh, because the the originators, the progenitors like Ethereum were not really SEC compliant and were actually waiting for a hearing uh, uh, on the 7th of May to find out if Ethereum is a currency or if it's uh, a security. So a lot of uh, companies are going to come out and they will, uh, new ones will come and fill in gaps and eventually uh, the, the musical chairs will stop and someone will, will uh, be accepted and uh, will have picked up uh, addressed all the flaws that its predecessors didn't, and I, I think that's that's how this will go. So, so we're saying there's there's going to be a gradual whittling down. Something will get legitimized with regulation, right? Yeah. And yeah. and then won't it just become co-opted by the power structures that created the Fed in the first place, and then used maybe to be part of the problem it was trying to solve? Is that possible? Or is it impossible, but given the technology, uh, I, in my heart, deep down, I think the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, um, we're back to that. Plus ça change. Yes. Um, however, there are people out there, entrepreneurs out there, libertarians out there, who are working very hard to keep uh, the, the, the 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 reason for the existence of blockchain alive, keep it decentralized, but scalable. Um, So there is a lot of work going into this. Some of the world's brightest minds are leaving uh, the Googles and the Facebooks and the Ubers and and, and, and even AI to concentrate on on, on keeping uh, the core values of blockchain strong and uh, uh, mainstream. So a lot of work is happening behind the scenes. Uh, to keep it like that, and I'm, I'm already looking at uh, new companies. If if they address one little gap and, and a rumor comes out that they've partnered with someone to make it more viable, the, the stock just doubles or triples. It's there's a lot of many are still in the market, and there's yeah. a lot of money still supporting these ideas. So it, people are strongly incentivized to keep the idea of decentralization um, alive. So there is, yeah, and so so there's a good incentive. Still seems, as you say, a bit of mania. Yeah. Uh, still probably a bit of a bubble. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, w- neither of us are financial advisors. <laughs> so so be very very careful. Your home is at risk. Blah blah blah. Um, so, but I have to ask, um, probably before we move on to our our secondary topic for today, which is gambling. There's probably a reason we pick gambling, but I'm sure we'll work that out shortly. Um, 
can you can you tell anybody where the next what the next hot pick is going to be? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've I haven't heavily invested in this, so I kind of feel a bit bad that I'll, I'll let this one out and uh, hmm. I'll miss the train myself. But um, there is a company called Nucleus Vision. Uh, so this company is backed by um, some, some legends in the industry. One of them is called Tim Dr- Draper. He was the first person to predict Bitcoin at 10,000. He's, he's, he's been a very successful um, investor. So Nucleus Vision, what this company does is it will know who... I know this sounds slightly uh, George Orwell, 1984, but it will know who you are as soon as you walk through the door. Uh, it will. Uh, they've patented this technology called uh, what is it called? Oh, I can't remember. It's it's something to do with the near field. Uh, the the ion i o n. Um, it's 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 a similar concept to RFID um, Wi-Fi, but it's not none of those. So when you walk into a store, it will know who you are and. It will incentivize you just for being in the store or for making a purchase. It will automatically incentivize you. It will pay you some tokens. And uh, uh, all all transactions will be done on the blockchain. So when you earn these tokens, you can redeem these um, anywhere in the world. You don't have to uh, uh, convert them. You'll be able to... exchange them well you, you will be able to exchange them t- for another crypto but the, the appeal with this one is that it will know who you are and incentivize you um, according to your profile um, and everything will be done on the blockchain um, we'll, we'll, you'll have access to 24-7 crypto markets um, and it's it's partnering with um, a lot of big companies in uh, starting with India first and it's got people uh, from Harvard Levi's um, some some very very big uh, names uh, are trying to incentivize you just walking into a store just 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 interacting with offline products um, to, to de-digitize you so to speak but incentivize you at the same time. Okay, so presumably people can just Google that and find out a way of getting in? Uh-huh. Amazing. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you can go on uh, uh, nucleus.vision and uh, I think the market cap is below $200 million um, and other companies with, with this kind of ambition have <laughs> gone from like $200 million to like three or four billion in, in a matter of six months. It's 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 the network effect that, that's going to generate the value. So they've got a lot of partnerships coming up. So it's an exciting one to look out for. Great. Well, hey, thank you very much for uh, dipping the toe into Bitcoin. I think this could have gone on for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> um, and in fact, I think we're probably running a little bit ahead or over time. Um, but why don't we just touch on our secondary topic because, you know, we promised. <laughs> so why have we chosen gambling? I mean, it's a pretty obvious link, isn't it? Talking about Bitcoin, talking about what you've just talked about there with a potential pick. It's not a huge leap of the imagination to go to gambling, is it? 
absolutely not. It's uh, it uses the same emotions. It's the same kind of speculation. Um, you know, gambling is wagering on something that's uncertain, and uh, the early stages of this Bitcoin or blockchain revolution, it, there is a lot of uncertainty, and uh, gambling is it can be twenty four seven, which is what blockchain is, and um, yeah. It gives you the advantage of more events and markets to speculate in, but you can also suffer burnout and a lot of loss. So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of uh, commonalities. So, um, you and I have both worked in the in the <laughs> euphemistically named gaming industry in the past, right? So, uh, you used to work for a big, relatively big branded uh, gaming company, and so did I. Um, and I, I guess we can probably share a few stories about what we've seen. But um, you know, now that online gambling or gaming, as it's as I've said, it's euphemistically known, is available to people, do you think that's okay? Do we think we're putting temptation in people's way now? Does that sound a bit puritan? That last sort of line of reasoning. Well, I think everyone's entitled to their choices in life. It's we all we all learn um, from our mistakes, and uh, some of us improve, and some of us kind of give up. Um, gambling, uh, I don't know how much of an art it is versus how much of a science it is, but uh, it's you need to know your risk uh, versus your reward. Um, if you if you if you're betting on a good sports player who's been consistent, um, you might think that he or she'll probably uh, win their next game. Um, but also, if they've been winning so consistently, the chances of them losing also increase because you can never win, you know, 20 games in a row unless just the chances are so rare. So, it there is always that. Um, I don't know. Um, nobody. Well, the thing is, you see, a lot of us we we live by ordinary, traditional routines. You know, we we yeah. wake up, we go to work, we you know get angry at stuff, get get excited about stuff, um, and we cultivate those emotions over a, a long periods of time, and uh, the, those become our, our uh, character um, and, and we, we, we bring those characteristics with us when we gamble because you see no one's really born as a gambler or a, a speculator um, and so when people bring those those emotions into these into these markets into this arena they use that conditioning um, to help them participate but so maybe people—is it that that people start off being quite risk averse, and then they gradually their appetite for risk increases? Well, you see, that's what—that's what—that's how it should be, but it never is. Oh, um, I think a lot of us uh, we we get quite emotional. Um, um, well, we, a lot of us will, will. Yes, we will take small bets. That's also true, um, 
but we we we, we the, the rational side of 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 gambling or speculating isn't isn't really uh main it's not done by the majority of people no otherwise yeah otherwise it'd become very very uh it'd become a diminishing industry because the house isn't winning you're winning so it just makes me think of it just makes me think of war games the movie with matthew broderick back when he only probably just started shaving uh and the conclusion of war games was the computer simulator realizing the only way to win a nuclear war is not to play the game so uh, that that's been that's certainly been my attitude to um to gambling certainly the the gaming company i worked at we had uh, we were all given 20 quid when we started we were given an account with 20 quid and i remember watching horse races because we all had screens up over our desks watching the horse races and then betting on a horse but not betting on the horse on the screen betting on the name of the horse not not on the tv but on the monitor in the market the in-play market as the odds were changing and putting the money as the odds shortened on that horse winning and that actually i thought right i found a system and i know this is where we get greedy i think i know i know what the answer is i know the system i think i can make this work uh I tell you what, Sonny, I got a really uncomfortable feeling. Um, you know, quite a quite an adrenaline rush playing that. Um, I didn't always win, otherwise I wouldn't. You know, I'd be somewhere else, right? <laughs> but um, but th- that really scared me. Actually, that that I felt as though I was on a cliff, looking over the edge. And we had a quite a sobering incident. We had um, in our company, we had slot machines casino uh, type slot machines and this guy won a million quid wow i think it was a million quid on the slot machines um online he won a million quid and somebody walked around the office floor said uh somebody's just won a million quid on the slots and we were like oh my god that's amazing well at least I, i i said that and my boss kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, That's, that happens all the time. He'll have lost it by lunchtime. <laughs> and sure enough, that same punter had lost it by lunchtime. Wow. Like, I don't know about you, but if I hit a million on a payout, I'm not going back in. <laughs> well, you know? you're, a, you're, you're, you're a very, uh, you're not a very greedy person, Kieran. Well, well, I don't know if it's that. It, it then made me think maybe it's not that the person who lost the million after winning a million was greedy. He, he or she might have been desperate. Uh, a million pounds might have been a drop in the bucket for what that person was on the hook for. That's the other thing I, I, I can't help thinking about is the amount of debt. Oh, look, we're back to debt that people get into with this gambling stuff. So there's, but but there's a fear of missing out, right? If you don't, yeah. if only I'd bet on Liverpool to make the Champions League final, mm-hmm. you know, then I could retire. So yeah, how does that um, work? So, uh, so there's two two terms I've I've got quite accustomed to over the last few months. I think <laughs> one is FOMO, which is fear yeah. of missing out. And uh, the other is the herd mentality. Mm-hmm. So 
I've. Uh, it's funny that you 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 spoke about um, the horses with the best names or, or memorable names. Um, some of the cryptocurrencies that I've been looking at over the last six months or so have uh, risen astronomically because they had a really catchy name. No. Yeah, one of them was called Verge, and you don't want to know how quickly that went up. It went. It's disgusting. It went from uh, I don't know. In the tens of millions to over a billion dollars, Kieran. Over a billion. What? So hang on, Verge. Yes, Verge. V e r g e. Yes. Like like the 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 edges around your lawn. Yes. Sorry, and but but hang on, you just told me so that was that was clearly not one of the catchy ones. (laughs) Well, people like the name. A lot of nerds they love that name. Uh, right. There, there's a lot of edgy people in crypto, so. So can I create a cryptocurrency called Paving Slab or something, and then make a fortune? Oh, oh Breeze, yeah. Breeze Block. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Breeze Block. B L O C. Breeze Block. <laughs> yep. Anything is possible. So, uh, so yeah. So um, I, I, I saw a lot of that FOMO, uh, fear of missing out when, when, when um, coins were were breaking out of historical price ranges. Um, and, and and just going into the stratosphere, and 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 if if the daily volume, say, a uh, buying and selling volume on a coin was I don't know a hundred thousand one day, and then it just broke out of a special price range, it would go to you know volumes of a million, ten million, even two three hundred million dollars in a single day. Crikey! And 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 that was clearly the herd mentality that you know one one person is or, or a bunch of people have have. have initiated this thing uh maybe they've got together with other people or something big is about to break out in terms of like a big uh mainstream adoption or a partnership announcement with a big uh, established it player or someone um and um you know someone will take the price to another level it could be a small increment and then it just goes up it it just uh, follows the pattern of an avalanche and then uh, you, you see absolutely brand new investors who just bought their first Bitcoin or, or whatever, trying to buy these alternative cryptocurrencies and getting excited about that that ridiculous rise, buying it all the way at the top just when it just just when it's about to um, go down um, and, and, and learning things the hard way. That's uh, that's were... really sad. <laughs> yes. That it sucks to be them. I read a funny I remember when I, I sold the so I bought a couple of Bitcoin, as I mentioned earlier on a, not a couple of Bitcoin, what am I talking about? Micro Bitcoin. So a fraction of a Bitcoin. And I bought I bought that at this ATM. And then I sold it just before Christmas, actually. Uh, and then kicked myself because I saw the price double since I sold it. <laughs> and then yeah. crash again. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember, but, but I remember tweeting when I sold it and saying, I've sold my Bitcoin and I'm now going to invest my money in tulips and a company that's doing very interesting work in the South Seas. Uh, and, it, and it was a stupid reference to obviously the Dutch tulip mania where, I don't know, tulips became the most expensive speculative item. I don't even know which century that was. And then the South Sea bubble that, that sort of peaked around the 17, around 1720. Mm-hmm. And there was a famous investor in that 
peak. We were talking just now about investing at peak. So that mm-hmm. was Newton, right? It was indeed, Mr. So, Isaac Newton. Mr. Isaac Newton. So not a thicky. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the story the story that I heard was pretty was kind of sad, right? Because he actually got in near the floor. Yes. And then he 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 got he got out near the top and then thought hang on this is still going up so he bought at the peak <coughs> and then it crashed out yeah so uh he so that's bought fomo near the f- in the extreme yeah yes. sorry yes 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 no, that, that, i'm just looking at what uh, I'm, I'm on the internet and i'm looking at the the, the price history of, of the south sea stock bubble where newton bought in and sold he buys in the floor he buys um a step higher then he buys uh, then his friends get rich um, and then he puts everything in uh, almost everything in uh, a few steps after his friends get rich and then the whole thing crashes and then he sells at the bottom so I feel really you know uh, we've we've taken quite a journey there around the philosophical basis for why money works the way it works by money i mean real money rather than bitcoin and and what bitcoin was supposed to be the answer or the question that bitcoin was trying to answer that money posed so so that was really really interesting really massively um detailed in terms of the history i had no idea really um and and thank you also for telling us a little bit about actually how bitcoin works uh, and also a hot tip there and we wrapped up by talking about gambling that oddly enough, brought us back to Bitcoin. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know if that's a warning or just something interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you so much. My my head kind of hurts after all that. And I think I'm going to have to lie down in a dark room before I hit the publish button on this podcast. <laughs> um, there'll, be, uh, there'll be show notes available. So a lot of the th- subjects that we touched on have got quite a lot of reading behind them. So we'll have them published. Um, and we'd be really keen to hear from you. Uh, just hit us up on Twitter at LDN Podcast. Sonny, you've got a Twitter presence as well, stuffed with graphs. Yes, I do. Um, you can find me on uh, at Sonny Dilgear. Brilliant. Excellent. Uh, and also, if if needed, you, you can all find that on our site and there'll be links to it inside the show notes. So uh, that's us. Sonny, thank you very much for joining me on the virtual studio. I'm flattered to be on it, so thank you. Uh, it's, been, it's been emotional. <laughs> likewise, Kieran, <laughs> likewise.